that there was a big celebration on Simchas Beis Sheva, Sukkot, and the Chassidim Vanchei Maisa, the righteous people, would dance, and all the other people and, and all the people would look around and watch, stand around and watch. And um, so the Gemara describes how it used to be that uh, the men were standing on the inside and the women standing on the outside, but they began mingling. Then it was the woman on the outside, men on the inside, mingling as well. So they kind of created a fix for all this and they built a balcony where the woman um, stood on the balcony and the men were below. So let's see this inside um, in the Gemara, in the Gemara's language. And this is source number one. Um, Jake, can you go first? Sure. And circa 51b, initially, women would stand on the inside of the women's courtyard, closer to the sanctuary to the west. And the men were on the outside in the courtyard and on the rampart, and they would come to conduct themselves with inappropriate levity in each other's company. As the men needed to enter closer to the altar when the offerings were being sacrificed, and as a result, they would mingle with the women. Therefore, the sages instituted that the women should sit on the outside and the men on the inside, and still they would come to conduct themselves with inappropriate levity. Therefore, they instituted in the interest of complete separation that the women would sit above and the men below. Okay, so the word that the Gemara uses to describe the problem over here was that it brought to kalos reish. That's the word that's used. Kalos reish means uh, like lightheartedness, um, loosely translated. So the question is, so what exactly was the concern? What is this kalos reish they were worried about? So, is it mixed? Is it mingling? Or is it, it um, looking? The men looking at the woman. So we find that this is, both opinions are brought by the same um, Rishon, by the same author, the Rambam, in two different works that he wrote. One is the Pirish HaMishnais. This one was written when the Rambam was still in Spain in his 20s. You can imagine what type of mind the Rambam had that in his 20s already he wrote this you know amazing work on the Mishnais that was the Pirish Mishnais when he was still in Spain and then he wrote his actual famous magnum opus uh, the Mishnah Torah when he was already living in Egypt so we're going to look at these two places where he describes um, in his view what what the Kalash Reish was let's take a look at two and then three Good. So it's clear that um, in that that it's about not looking at the woman. That's the Pirish Mishnais. Okay. Number three. Uh, yeah, go for it. The women's courtyard was surrounded by balconies so that women could look on from above and the men from below without intermingling. Okay. So here it says that it's about not intermingling. So we see two different reasons. One is that they should look without intermingling. And as we discussed last week, there are kind of two, what we call nafkaminas, uh, uh, differences that are going to come out uh, in halacha, depending on which reason you follow. If you look at it as an issue of mingling, then what type of mechitza that you do you need? A mechitza that's just going to prevent mingling. Which would mean also second nafkamina. So, 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 so on that, if you're just looking at that, then the mechitza doesn't need to be so high. It just needs to be like a real barrier that's not going to allow for mingling. Um, another one was, remember what the second nafkamina was? You can't see. Go to uh, glass. So good. So according to the Pirisha Mishnayis, it would be a problem. But according to the Rambam in the Mishnah Torah, it wouldn't be fine. 
uh, it would be fine because that would separate from mingling. So these were the two practical differences that would come. And it's a very, if you think about it, these are big differences. How hard does the machitz have to be? In many shuls, that becomes a big point of contention. Um, how high it has to be. So in this, we, we saw, um, and really, it, it comes down to how do you understand the Gemara? Because, and, and we're going to see that this is the words of um, the authorities which ruled on, the, on this issue. So let's start with Rav Moshe Feinstein. So Rav Moshe Feinstein said, in his opinion, looking through the Gemara, it seemed to him that the primary source that we're going to look at when it comes to this discussion is the Rambam in, um, in the Mishnah Torah. Which, by the way, just side note, not that he says this, not that anybody says this, but just this is true, that the Rambam's Mishnah Torah is a book of halacha. It's not just a commentary, it's a book of halacha. Which makes sense to follow over a commentary. So just side note, I think it's like important to, to note that because it's, it's true. Um, but anyway, so the Ramosha thinks that that is the primary source, that it's a, about the mingling issue. Um, why? That's where it Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he says because, think about it, when the women are on a, on a balcony and the men are below, the men are still, still able to see the woman. Right. They're just higher, right? So technically the men could see, still see the woman. You know, if you're standing opposite especially, let's say the woman, men on this side and the woman, you just look up and the women are there, right? So technically you could see. So clearly what was the issue here? Not just, it wasn't really an issue of looking so much, but rather an issue of mingling. And once they're on a higher level, so there's no mingling. So, and the, and the looking is not um, as, that, as much of an issue. That's not what the concern here was. That's what Ramosha's uh, uh, claim was. Therefore, he felt that a mechitza of about four and a half feet suffices. Why does it have to be so high if it just needs to be a division? Because that kind of prevents even you know, passing something to another, handing over a baby from one side to the other. When it's four and a half feet, it's, it's high enough that it's, it's a real separation. 18 tzvachim, four and a half feet, that was the size of emotional wanted. Um, now, a glass mechitza, so, and this kind of like undoes all the excitement that people have about Ramosha because Ramosha, a lot of shuls, a lot, not a lot, but some shuls did take on Ramosha's opinion and therefore had mechitzas you know, four and a half feet um, with glass, because again, it's based on the same issue. But Ramosha did, did say that if you're going to go with a glass machitza, um, it's important to note that the women on the other side of the machitza have to be dressed appropriately. Because if not, you have a whole different issue, which is that in a shul where holy words are being spoken, so there needs to be proper dress and, 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 and modest dress. So even if you can take care of the mingling issue, but if the words, or let's say the Torah is being read on the men's side, and there is, uh, uh, and within sight, there is um, women dressed in, uh, inappropriately, or immodestly, well, that's, that's a separate issue. So if that's not being taken care of, and in many Chabad houses, that's, that's just how it is, right? Unless you're in a very firm shul where you know every person who's coming is dressed modestly, there's no reason to think that uh, uh, in, in a regular, you know, shul where lots of people come, it's very possible that the woman won't be dressed modestly. So that's, that's kind of something that kind of undoes Ramosha's heter because that's a separate issue we have to need to take care of and therefore the class wouldn't work. Could we do it with a low machitza? Probably yes, because as long as you have a higher enough barrier, you're, you're creating a real barrier between them. Um, in either case, this is Ramosha's opinion. Okay. 
Now, the, the fact is, is that most opinions do not go with um, Ramosh. Most of the rabbis did not go with Ramosh. They felt that their Moshes looked at the main thing as being about not mingling. They felt that that was an incorrect um, assessment of the of the thing. And actually, the the main source is the Ramam in, in Pirsha Mishnayis, that it's about um, looking. And they their point was, is that if it was an issue of mingling, you didn't have to go and create a whole balcony on top. What you could have done is just make a division on the ground level. So it's kind of like in this shul, right? Have a division on the ground level, not add to the base. Because remember, the source that from where Rav Moshe understands that the Torah, that, that, that having a machitza is biblically mandated, is Midor Raisa, where does he learn that from? Remember from last week? We said last week that Ramosha holds that it's a, it's a Midor Raisa, it's a biblical, just like putting on tefillin is, is biblically mandated, so too having a machitza in shul is biblically mandated. Where did he get that from? Which part of the Gomorrah? The fact that a balcony was added to the base of Mikdash. Oh, right. Because the, the, the Pasuk says. Uh, uh, yeah, basically, the, the Pasuk says that um, with, with God's kind of, uh, you know, wisdom, the base of Mikdash was built. So every piece of this is exact. To add to this is, is a problem. So the only thing that could warrant adding to it is a real issue doi raisa. So and must be says Ramosha that it's an issue doi raisa. So they say back to Ramosha, well if the only issue was mingling we could have solved that by not adding a whole permanent thing to the base of Mikdash. Just put up a, a temporary thing in between and that would solve the problem from the fact that they didn't. Indicates that what we need is much more than just as a little division we need something that's going to put them on different levels, and obviously the site, the, the, the vision that's going to be from top to below is, is considerably less than if it's just right on the same level right next to you. And therefore, they felt that the correct um, approach is um, the, the, the issue is seeing, and therefore we need to take care of that. So how tall does a mechitza need to be according to that? So uh, the Rabbi Bogomilsky, who was a rabbi, I'm not sure which, where exactly in America, but he was given a position in some shul in America. And basically, if I remember correctly, the conditions were, we want you to become a rabbi, but we're not really so happy about doing the whole machitza thing. And if you don't go along with us with the machitza thing, we're gonna give over the shul to a conservative. We're gonna bring a conservative rabbi. That was kind of like the, the threat. So like give in to us on this thing or else we're gonna go to conservative. And so he turned to the rabbi and asked, so what should I do? And Basically, the Rebbe was very vehement that a mechitza is a, a, a very important part of a shul and it can't be played around with. And therefore, a mechitza needs to be six foot because that's the average height, or that's at least a little bit more than average height. And that way, you know you're covering the, uh, this issue you know, on a, on a broadly. So six foot is the height of, of, of what a mechitza should be. That's how the Rebbe uh, told people. Um, and uh, it was a contentious issue. So now, to say that going into a shul which follows Ramosha's opinion is a problem? No, definitely not a problem. Um, definitely not a problem to daven there. Is it the preferred option? Definitely not the preferred option. 
Um, the preferred option, the, the way definitely for those who follow the Chabad tradition, and even not those who follow the, the mainstream halachic approach, is not Rabbi Moshe in this approach. Even though Rabbi Moshe was incredible, in this instance, he was not the, his, his view was not accepted. So definitely davening they would be fine, but, um, but the, if a shul is being built, it should definitely not be uh, according to those standards. The standards should be of, uh, of a six-foot proper uh, proper machitza. But synagogue could really never uh, do it according to, to his opinion because he's, he's got two issues there. One is, so he's got four and a half feet, so it's just a machitza. It just has to be a separation. But his second condition is that the women have to be dressed by So that's only if it's glass. Oh, only if it's glass. Yeah. Oh, so he could do four and a half not glass? And right. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Now, just by the way, uh, uh, something where we see like the importance of mechitza is that actually we're coming up to Shavuos. So what the Zohar, I believe, says that when the Torah was given at Har Sinai, the men and the women were separate. And so too, when, when Moshe Rabbeinu spoke to the people, also the men and the women were separate. So we see that this goes back, you know, way, way back, um, this idea of, of having separation between men and women during... These, these moments of, of gathering of, of the Jewish people. So, what about this Mechitzah? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not six feet. It's probably, it's probably like five and a half or five. And it's glass. It's not really glass. It's not, it's, it's not it's pretty pretty glass. It's right. Glass. So, it just sorts best. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it does have separation. What do you mean? I mean, there's whole, there's gaps, right? Right. But you could say that those gaps are small. I mean, there's not, yeah, there's not much. Right. Right. Um, okay. So let's let's uh, let's keep going on to. Um, the next discussion, which we did not discuss uh, uh, last week. And that is, so when is a mechitza required? So it's clear that in a shul you need a, uh, a mechitza. And by the way, where does this come from? The Shulchan Aruch doesn't say you need a mechitza. The Shulchan Aruch uses the same language that the Gemara used. The Gemara said that what did they do? They had this problem. The problem was kalos roish. And therefore they made a mechitza. The Shulchan Aruch says the same thing. In a shul there can't be kalos roish. Now, we already know what Kalos Reish is, says all these rabbis, from back, from back, from that Gemara. What did that mean? Looking. And therefore, a mechitza is required to take away that issue. So it's just interesting that the Shulchan doesn't specifically say mechitza, but it's implied through the, the, the term Kalos Reish. Now, Kalos Reish obviously includes lots of things. It includes not playing basketball in a shul. But one of the things is, is uh, having a mechitza, which will take care of um, the mingling and looking issue. For all times, or just for services. So that's what we're going to get into right now. Okay. So when is is mechitza only required in shul or other times as well? So let's take a look at source number four. Now this is from the Rambam, where he's talking about um, part of the responsibilities of the court when it comes to the times of Yom Tov. And you have to before you kind of go into this, you have to picture a very different time. You have to picture a time where literally the whole country. Is, is, is living a Jewish life. So Yom Tif, the whole country is celebrating. Can you imagine? Even in Israel today, Israel is somewhat, you somewhat, you have that. 
But even in Israel today, that's not really like all that's going on. But this is talking about a time where the standard was orthodox, the king was, the government was, everything was. The courts were. So the whole country stopped and was, was structured around Jewish life. So let's take a look. Number four. The court is obligated to appoint officers who will circulate and see that men and women do not gather to eat or to drink, lest they conduct themselves immodestly and come to sin. Similarly, they must warn the people that men and women should not mix in festival gatherings and homes, nor should they overindulge in wine, lest they be led to sin. So, you, you know, you may have heard of uh, Bahab. You ever heard of Bahab? The fasts of Bahab? So Bahab is Bays, hey Bays, Monday, Thursday, Monday, after the holidays, the righteous people, the Rebbe would do this, he would fast um, on the Monday, Thursday, and Monday after the holidays. And this is an, uh, kind of like something that the, the holy people in, in the community do. Why? Because it's meant to kind of atone for things that happen in the midst of the festivities of Yom Tov. One of them is that amid the festivities, there's a lot of intermingling and things go wrong because of that between men and women. So same thing here. The Ramam is saying that the court was responsible to make sure things were done properly and uh, appropriately um, in this regard. So what do we see? That it's not just shul. These are just regular festivities. And yet there needs to be some sort of separation between men and women by these festivities so things shouldn't um, go places that we don't want them to go. So... Clearly, there's a source for having separation between men and women in uh, situations outside of shore. The question is, when are those situations? Okay, so it goes something like this. You know, in a, in a, in a supermarket, or in a bus, or in a train, does it need to be a mechitza? I mean, where, do, where is this line drawn? Where, where do the requirements start? Do we always need a mechitza whenever there's a gathering of, of men and women? Or is there certain guidelines? So the answer is that it basically goes based on what's the purpose of this gathering? Is everyone here for the own, their own purpose? So let's say a shopping, shopping mall. Everyone's here to do shopping. Nobody's, it's not a, it's not a gathering here. Everyone's kind of doing their own thing. Well, um, and therefore, um, you don't need a, a mechitza in a shopping, in a supermarket because everyone's here to do their own shopping. Nobody's here together as one group. Um, same thing with a, a bus or whatever. Now, you might find in very, um, you know, in, in very firm communities, they might have that. That's definitely a hitter. That's like, you know, going the extra mile. But basically, this is how it works. That when we're gathered for a purpose, that's when the issue of mechitza comes in. Um, so basically, when it comes to a wedding, um, it used to be that... For the dancing, obviously, since it's a very festive, you know, kind of thing. Therefore, there was obviously uh, separation, mechitza. But the meal time, there was none. Meal, meal always. And if you look at, you know, weddings from early 1900s, even Chabad weddings, my grandparents' weddings, you see, they were they were very holy Jews, and there was no mechitza. That was just the standard. That's just how it was. Um, but now there is a discussion when it comes to. Uh, holidays and festivities about having mechitza that one of the blessings that we say um, I think we say in benching that we say that that uh, Hashem is rejoicing in this in this gathering now the Bach who was one of the big commentators in the Shulchan Aruch says 
that he brings from Sefer HaChassidim, uh, which is an earlier, earlier source, that we do not say HaSimcha B'mayinai where there's no Mechitza. Why? Because in a, in a place where things are not done to the fullest degree of, of uh, 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 where it's not fully appropriate, Hashem is not as joyous in that, in that gathering because it's not being done to the, to the, to the best, in the best way. And therefore, HaSimcha B'mayinai should not be said in such a gathering. Which indicates that um, is a further indication that by festivities and stuff there should be uh, a mechitza. And um, if you take a look at number five, we'll we'll read together a letter where the Rebbe ex- expressed this as well. Where are we up to? Go for it. Uh, Number five, letter, yeah. letter of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. If one truly wishes that the Torah should bless this wedding, to be a place where uh, the joy is in its place and the couple should truly feel joy for the rest of their lives, Shulchan says that a mechitza needs to be... So this is a very strong letter of the Rebbe, where the Rebbe is writing to somebody, kind of imploring him, that if you want to bring simcha, if you want to bring spiritual goodness and blessings to this couple, which is obviously why everyone's gathered here for the wedding, the, the key to that is by keeping to the halachas of a wedding the way that halacha wants it to look. Because that's, that's the key. You want Hashem's blessings? Follow the path that Hashem wants in such a moment. Bring the Hasimcha B'mayna into that moment by following the way that the Shulchan Aruch um, requires. So the Rebbe was very strong about this. And therefore the Rebbe asked people that even during the, the meal of a wedding, there should be a mechitza. And if you go to any Chabad wedding today, that's standard. But it wasn't always like that. Um, and actually, this is one of the interesting things that the Rebbe said, that even though my father-in-law, who the Rebbe used to follow his father-in-law to the T on everything, the Rebbe said, even though my father-in-law's times, kind of like there was no mechitzah about meal times, and that was perfectly fine, the Rebbe said it's thanks to the Hungarian Jews, who, if you know Hungarian Jews, they're, they're extra from and extra fiery. It's thanks to them that they brought in this, um, you know, extra element of having mechitzah by, festive, by, by the meal of weddings and that's appropriate, that's good and actually there's a story of um, Zalman Jaffe who was a chassid in Manchester who who? oh, okay so Zalman Jaffe was a chassid in Manchester who had a very close connection to the rabbi um, he didn't visibly look like a chassid for most of his life because he didn't have a beard um, but he was a very warm Jew and close to the rabbi now, there was a very, you know, big Talmud Chacham, Godel, you know, righteous person who lived in Manchester. And when he made a wedding, there was no mechitza by the meal. Because, like I said, that was standard then. And when Zalman Jaffe was making a wedding, who was a businessman, you know, not a communal leader, just... The Rebbe asked a personal favor that he have a mechitza by the wedding. And so it caused a massive stir in the community. Here you had the rabbi, the community, everyone looks to for, for guidance. He didn't feel it necessary to have a mechitzah by his wedding. But Zalman Jaffe did, but it came because of, of this personal request of the rabbi. And obviously it took some time for it to get going, but by now it's pretty standard practice that, that by a wedding um, of definitely within Chabad, I'm not sure other communities, I mean, you can tell me what you've seen, but in other communities, I believe it's similar that there's a, a mechitza by the dancing, by the meal, and uh, really it comes back to this that the asimcha b'maynay, bringing um, you know joy into the thing, is by is by following the way that um, halacha dictates a uh, simcha should look.
So if that's the case, the question is, well, how far does this, does this extend? Does it extend also to a Sheva Brachas? Does it extend also to a bris? Does it every festive occasion? So it seems like in this, in this regard, um, things are a little bit less um, serious than, as, than a wedding. A wedding is much more festive, much more elaborate, and therefore there's possibly more, and, and there's also the Asim Chabamene, that, that blessing. Um, and therefore, weddings are, are more kind of strict in this regard. Sheva brachas, it's often just family, so there's no, there's no issue there. So it's, even if there's separation of men and women, there won't be a mechitza. Same thing with a bris, often there'll, there'll be a meal. Even if there's a there's separation of men and women without a meal, there won't be a, a mechitza. And even by shiurim, uh, even by classes, uh, we find in the Gemara that the, the sages tried to make some sort of separation between men and women. Take a look at, at uh, source number six. That's the Aramaic word. Um, the vulnerable point of the year is the festival. Since men and women would come together on these joyous occasions, and this would lead to sin. So, so we see that even by kind of shirim talks, they try to make some sort of separation. Um, and even you see that when, when the Rebbe would give a talk to, let's say, um, chasanim and kala, so uh, brides and grooms, so there wouldn't be a mechitza, but there would be on, on different sides of the room. And, you know, the, the fact is, is that, let's say, um, shluchim all over the world would send in pictures of their, you know, events to the Rebbe, which weren't done with a mechitza about these type of things. The Rebbe didn't say anything, which indicates that in those type of things, there is, uh, like, there is room for, for there to be less of a, of a, you know, a serious line. So I think if we want to kind of break it down, it basically goes something like this. A, a joyous occasion like a wedding, absolutely. Um, something less than that, separation is appropriate. Do you need a mechitza? Not necessarily. Something like a shear, it's debatable. And, uh, and definitely some would say should, but I think the standard in, in many chabaras that I've seen in many places is, is not necessarily. And that would obviously depend on the community, the community standards. I think a lot of that plays in in this, this whole discussion. So you said for a chatun, so that's, what about at the chuppah? So the chuppah, either way, I think, um, it, it, the usually there... I was looking at the source. Yeah. yeah. It appears that at the chuppah, it's not... Uh, well, that's, I'm asking you the question. So at the chuppah, does there have to be a separation between men and women? So def- there definitely is no mechitza. There's no mechitza. Um, there is... I've seen some chatunot, whether the men... I've seen different... Yeah, I think that, that it's it's a similar thing where it's not there's no dancing, there's no it's it's, it's a ceremony where everyone stands together for the ceremony, and therefore it makes sense to have less of a strict line to it, like the wedding itself. Um, so what about a lecture? So a lecture also a lecture. Same reason. So a lecture, I would say, is even less kind of severe than a than a chuppah because yeah, um, it's more joyous. A lecture is just a lecture, um, but. Um, but yeah, there's definitely room for it, and that would kind of depend on, on the standards of the community. A more very firm community might be very 
strict about these things, the, yeah, yeah, it's not a, there's not like kind of like a strict guideline to it. Um, okay, very good. So that kind of wraps up the discussion of um, of mechitzas. Any uh, any questions before we move on? When did they go from mechitzas to separate rooms? Because that's a lot of about weddings I've been so I don't think that has anything to do with Tznius or anything. Isn't that before the wedding though? they have that? No, it's at the dinner. So that oh, could simply separate, be... Separate rooms? Oh, that could be, simply be an issue of, of space. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like you have very big weddings and maybe there's no space to put everyone in the same room. I don't think it has anything to do with was, this. Was the food any different? Yes. I think they wouldn't get better desserts. That's why. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> and, and, and they get flowers from the table. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Lakewood is the example of they again separate seating for the for the for the chuppah, but there's no mechitza. yeah, and then they have the about ten or twelve foot high uh, mechitza by the, it feels it seems like kind of, maybe it could be that Trump's Trump's wall the wall <laughs> it's got to be used in the easel now but separate seating for the chuppah. Separate seating, but in the same on opposite room. sides of the chuppah. Yeah. No, what I'm saying is men and women not together. Right. But in the same room, it's, there's, you know, it's just a uh, one side of the uh, of the walkway. So one side is men, one side is women. No, that's what, that was my question to the rabbi. So you have some same thing. So it's the, yeah. that, that that's and they. Are, I've seen somewhere it's a uh, complete separation of men. Men and women don't sit together at the chuppah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That I that I've, I think that's the standard. Yeah. Do you think that's that they do not? They do not. Right, that's why. Yeah, yeah. But again, it's it's in that gray area. Right, that would be right. Okay. Okay, so let's move on. Now we're going to talk about bringing up the the woman section. So let's talk about the woman section of the shul for a second. Does the woman section of the shul have the same standard status as the men's side of the shul? Now, before you jump on me. What's the reason to say that the woman's section should be any different? So the question really is like this. Um, what makes the Kedusha of a shul? Meaning, we're saying you're not allowed to be light-hearted, you're not allowed to eat, you're not allowed to drink, you have to have etiquette in the shul to respect the shul. The question is, what makes the shul? So, what do you think? What makes a shul a shul? Place where you die, okay. That's one way to look at it. What else goes on in a shul? What else do you find in a shul? Torah, right? So there's an Aron Kodesh in the front. The Aron Kodesh is usually, or sometimes, I was going to say usually, but sometimes in the men's side of the shul. If that's the case, or, 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 or let's say it differently, the Torah is definitely read in the men's side of the shul. So are you going to say that the Kedusha of the shul is, is kind of there with those things, that's what makes the Kedusha, or is it the fact that davening is done, and um, davening is done by everybody? Or do you say, well, really the people who are fulfilling a mitzvah of davening, because women are not obligated in, in the mitzvah of davening, women are not obligated in the mitzvah of Shema, women are, are not obligated to hear the reading of the Torah, so maybe they're, since they're not obligated in it, they're, the, the level of Kedusha is less. So all of these factors are things that could be debated on. Um, some say that actually the woman's side is more holy than the men's side. Why? Because men have different opportunities with how to connect to Hashem. There's learning of Torah and there's davening. Whereas women have, um, there's no, there's no chiyuv, there's no obligation to, to, uh, 
to learn Torah for, for women, but davening is their connection, is their method of connection. Um, because I think that the Ramam says that even women are, are obligated in some form of davening, even if it's not the specific words. So you could say that the women are, are doing their full obligation in the shul, whereas the, woman, whereas the men have multiple ways, and just, this is just one way, davening. So there's different ways of looking at it, but the, the, the bottom line is, is, that, um, is that the woman's section of the shul should be treated as the same as the men's, and therefore whatever shouldn't be done, whatever, uh, if a meal is not being done on the men's side, it shouldn't be done on the woman's side, we treat it with the same kedusha. It's just, just bringing you kind of the discussion that goes on, different ways to look at where the kedusha of the shul comes from, and therefore how that extends to, to the woman's side. Okay, let's keep moving. Um, talking in shul. So we obviously know uh, uh, talking in shul is, is a non-starter when it comes to davening. Of, of course, you shouldn't be talking during davening. The question is before and after davening. So Shulchan Aruch says that a person should not be um, having mundane discussion in shul. So that would imply that before and after davening, um, talking about the sports or whatever, not appropriate in a shul. And that's kind of true. And the Mishabura talks at length. Um, I think it's that bottom bottom piece right there. If you want to see it inside, it's in the very small lettering. Um, it's forty three A. Very strong words about mundane talking show um, so that's that's kind of like the the strict letter of the law stuff um, but the fact is is that people do talk in shul and, and where does that come from and why is that not made such a big deal out of possibly if you remember we had if you remember we had uh, a discussion about when a tonight when a condition is made when a shul is built it kind of you can make certain conditions that the shul is going to have certain allowances we discussed whether the Shulchan Aruch accepts that, and do you remember what the Shulchan Aruch said about that? Remember, that, remember we had three opinions. We had the Orzarua, we had the Ramban, and we had the, um, the Toysfus about what, how much the, the Tanai helps. Remember how the Shulchan Aruch paskened? He paskened the, the most uh, stringent. Most stringent. So technically, even a condition shouldn't work, but we also saw that the Shulchan Aruch did imply elsewhere that in times of need, you can go with that thing. And so... The Aruch HaShulchan says that possibly this kind of, you know, conversation in shul where people catch up with each other and that type of thing has become, you know, a need. It's part of, it's part of the way shul functions, that people talk to each other before, after, before davening, after davening, maybe it could be included from that. But it is something to think about, that uh, just lounging around in a shul and having a discussion about absolutely nothing um, shouldn't be done in a shul. So it's something, something to think about. Um, okay, that's about talking in a shul. Um, then the halacha talks about eulogizing in a shul, making a eulogy. So obviously, a eulogy is a sad moment. So it doesn't belong in a shul. It's the right place for a shul. So the answer is that uh, a eulogy should not be done in a shul unless it's being done for the community leader, for the, for the leader of the community, for the rabbi of the shul, whatever it is. But eulogy should not be done in a shul. A coffin should not be brought into the shul to start a levaya from. So let's say levaya is going from the shul, it shouldn't be brought into the shul, the actual coffin. Um, and um, you, the rabbis were very 
careful about that because obviously they knew that their, their funerals would be given a lot of attention, a lot of people would come, they wanted to make sure that it wasn't done in the shul, they, they expressed that in their wills, don't bring Makaf into the shul, even if the Leviah starts from the shul, um, it should be done from the home, and that's what happened. So that's something else that's brought in connection with this. Weddings in a shul. Can a wedding be done in a shul? So the Ramah says, that the, the Ramah in, in, in the Shulchan Aruch says that, that their custom in many communities was to have weddings done in a shul, the ceremony done in a shul. But what does it remind you of when you think of a, of a ceremony in a shul, a wedding ceremony in a shul? It reminds you of a Christian, a Christian practice, right? Oh, wow. Kind of walking down the aisle, everyone's sitting, and it's out in the front, right? So it's the Hassam Sofer who famously was a rabbi who lived in Pressburg, Hungary. And he lived in a time when there was a lot of change going on in Europe. There was a lot of ref- reformation. And um, the reform movement kind of started and making, making a lot of changes. So he fought tooth and nail against the reform changes to Judaism. And so he felt that weddings in shul are something else, another thing which kind of reform is doing to replicate the way things are done in non-Jewish um, Thing. So in non-Jewish, in churches, they have uh, uh, the wedding in, in the thing, and it's done like that, you know, you, you can picture it. Everyone's sitting in the, the pews, and they're looking up. And so he felt that this was something which resembled what reform was doing, and therefore he said you shouldn't do it. And therefore, it became the custom not to do a wedding in shul. Today, do we have to, do we have to say that? No, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein says that you could have weddings in shuls, uh, but definitely the Chabad custom is to have a chuppah under the stars, um, as there are more rats in the Shulchan Aruch. Different communities have different customs when it comes to this. So some hold on to what the Chazam Surfer said, not to do it in a shul for that, for that reason. Um, Ramosha said, we don't have to be so careful about that these days, now that kind of that, you know, that period has, has, has ended. Um, but you'll find different customs based on, on, these, on these reasons. Okay, um, entering a shul for one's personal benefit. So let's say you come into the shul just to make a phone call. Or um, oh, oh, so we're gonna get there. Very good. Um, but again, this room. Okay, we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. So just personal benefit. Or let's say you left your phone in shul and you run back inside to get your phone. So is that okay? You're not coming in for any kedusha reason. You're coming for personal benefit. So the halacha is that when a person comes into a shul for no purpose of kedusha. You have to make your visit to the shul meaningful, purposeful. What do you have to do? You have to either say a pasuk, you have to either learn a halacha, so something short, just sit down, say a verse from Tehillim, and keep on going, or whatever it is. But uh, one's entrance shouldn't, into the shul shouldn't just be for nothing. Or if you don't have a pasuk in mind, or you don't have a halacha in mind, just sit down in the shul, just sitting in the shul, as we say every day in davening, just sitting in the shul is something good. It's a mitzvah. And therefore, just sitting in the shul for a few moments already is fine, and that, that, that's okay. So basically, running in and out of shul is not a good idea. You shouldn't be doing that. If you do need to go back into shul, say a pasuk, sit down for a moment, and, uh, and that does it for you. Okay, where are we holding? Okay, last thing. Touring a shul. So if you go to Europe, um, lots of tours, check out the old shuls. So is that appropriate? You're not going in there for any kudusha reason. So is there any, is it okay? So there was an early Rishon, you know, from somebody who lived between 11 and, and you know, 14th century, that, that, that period, the Rimelunil. I'm not sure exactly when he lived, but he lived in those times. 
And he said, uh, absolutely not. Part of Kalos Roish, which means just doing whatever you want. Lightheartedness, coming, you're checking, you're looking. That's not what should be done in a shul. And so he said, that's part of Kalos Roish. Touring a shul is not appropriate. But there was a rabbi who lived in Prague um, in 1933. And his shul, knowing this, Prague is a popular tourist destination. They wanted to know, could they give tours of the shul? And uh, they would make money off it. This would be a source of revenue for the shul. And so he wanted to say that... um, He wanted to say that... Like, based on what we were just saying before, that just spending time in a shul is a mitzvah on its own. Asher Yoshim Vesecha. And therefore, coming into a shul where you're just spending time in the shul, you're observing the beauty of the shul, so it's all about the shul, and you're spending time in the shul, that suffices to, to say you're respecting the shul by doing that. It's not just for nothing. You're spending time in the shul, you're focusing on the shul aspect of the shul, not just you know, doing anything, and therefore he felt it was okay. So therefore, uh, today, touring a shul is, is accepted, it's allowed, um, and we are more uh, makele when it comes to this, this uh, thing. Several of the shuls in Prague no longer use the shuls to the museums. Right. So at that point, it's, it's, it doesn't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. Because the condition of a shul stays. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think like something has to be done in order to, to remove that condition. Yeah. Okay, so we learned a lot tonight. Um, and uh, hope to see you next week. Oh, one, one thing. Um, I'm going to do a little bit of a, uh, a commercial here. Um, not about me, but next Wednesday, um, my dad is coming to town, and he's going to be giving a talk here in, at Beth Fila next Wednesday night. And I highly encourage you to come. It's, uh, it's going to be fantastic. My father is really a special, special person. So, uh, yeah, put it on your calendar. South Africa. South Africa. Yeah, he's just coming to he's visit us for, for oh, yeah. Wednesday night, yeah. What, what time is that going to be? 7.30. 7.30? Yeah.